I'm so excited about part five of Fearless. Um, we are, last week, if you were here last week, we were exploring some decisions that David made in the dark. And we, we were watching and observing and being encouraged and transformed by the story of David's life. Uh, he, was, he was principled. He was taking his time. And he was making good, sound decisions uh, in a cave when he had an opportunity to kill King Saul who had been coming after him and, and trying to kill him. Uh, he had made good decisions. We called that decisions in the dark. But today we're actually going to get to look at the flip side of David's decision-making process. Because David, like many of us, like all of us, wasn't perfect. And there were times in his life where he got off track. And he made some bad decisions and ended up in some bad situations. Uh, and so today what I want to do is I want to explore a passage of Scripture that shows David in one of these very, very bad situations that he put himself in. Uh, because I believe there's something in here for many of us. Uh, we're, what we're going to do is we're going to debrief the disaster that he made for himself. Uh, and, and by debriefing his disaster, my prayer is that we can avoid future failures ourselves. Um, and so let me just get right into the scripture today. And you follow along with me. You can follow on the screen or uh, with your Bible or, or in your notes. This is from... Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 27, and it says this. David thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. Best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hand. Now, I, I want to just pause for a minute and so you can, so you can take that in. Did you see what he said? He said, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking to myself that I'm probably going to get killed by Saul. So what I'm going to go do is I'm going to go join the Philistines. I don't know if you guys remember the nationality of the guy that David killed just like a couple weeks ago. Uh, his name was Goliath. He was, a, he was a Philistine. David decides, you know, <laughs> maybe what I ought to do is go live with those guys because I'm getting chased by, the Israel, uh, by Saul and his men. So... David and the 600 men with him left and went over to Achish, son of Maok, king of Gath. When Saul was told that David had fled to Gath, he no longer searched for him. I want to pause for just a second. I'm going to read some more, but I want to pause for a second. Sometimes we end up in bad situations in life. We end up in difficult circumstances in life. And we do what David did in this moment. He jumped from a bad situation to a worse situation. He got frustrated. He got tired. He had been making good decisions. He had been making sound decisions, principled decisions. He had been making all the right moves. But everywhere he went, everywhere he turned, Saul kept running after him to kill him. And David finally got fed up with it and said, you know what, why don't I just move in with the Philistines? Why don't I just go and be and live with the enemy? Um, this is called the, the from the frying pan into the fryer syndrome. It's every once in a while we get tired. We're in a bad situation and we go, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go from bad to another bad, right? I'm in a bad relationship right now. I'm going to go out of a bad relationship. I'm just going to get in another bad relationship. Or I'm in a bad job. I'm going to go to another bad job. Or I'm in a bad you know, emotional state in my life. I'm going to get to another bad emotional state. A lot of times we, out of frustration, we think to ourselves, we want to get out of it and we're desperate to get out of it. But the move we make to get out of the bad situation puts us in a worse situation. Anybody know what I'm talking about this morning, right? It's just, it's just one of those things. So, so, so David moves in and it, what's crazy to me is he moves into the territory of Gath. And if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> Goliath 
was from Gath. Like he literally moves into the worst possible situation. He's tired of running from Saul. He moves into Gath. He takes his 600 men and their families and their kids and their livestock and everything that they're, they're all following him. And he's one, you know, in the lead. And he says, we're going to go move to Gath, guys. They move to Gath. They settle in a town called Ziklag. And they're living there. And they're settled there. And they're, you know, taking it in there. But... They go out on a military excursion, and something very, very bad happens. Here's the reality. You can dance with the devil for a little while, but eventually you're going to get burned, right? Everything was okay for a little while. They were there for about a year, and everything was okay. Saul had stopped chasing him for a minute, right? The bad decision worked for a short period of time. And then everything went haywire. They were out on a military excursion. They're coming back from the military excursion, and it says this. It said, David and his men reached Ziklag, where they had settled, on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. This is another tribe. This is another nationality in the territory. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it. And burned it. This is where, this is David's home. And had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag... They found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and his daughters. David had gotten wildly off track in his life. He had made a number of decisions that took him way out of God's will for his life. And so today I want to spend just a few moments preaching on the subject, back on track, back on track. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that we have to just open our hearts, open our minds, receive the word that you have for us this morning. I pray, Lord God, that it would drop in our heart by the power of your spirit, and it would not just inform us, but it would transform us. It would change us. It would move us. It would take us deeper into a relationship with you. Those of us who are heading towards a calamity, a disaster in our life, we would get back on track. Those of us who are in a calamity, we've already, we've already, we've already run off the rails. Help us get back on track. God, I just pray this morning that each and every one of us would be transformed by your word and brought closer to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I, I don't know if any of you have ever used that phrase before, like you're, you're, you're going on some uh, a path on li- in life, and it's not the path that you know you're supposed to be on, and you say to yourself, man, I got to get back on track. Anybody ever said that about any area of your life? I mean, I started thinking about it this week. We're only a month away from January 1st. You know, that was not very long ago. And some of us made some New Year's resolutions. And some of us might even today be saying, man, I need to get back on track. Like, like, like maybe you, you, you said this year, you know, I'm going to go plant-based. I'm going to go plant-based diet, right? And then you showed up at the potluck. Did anybody? Well, I don't mean to cut too close to the bone, but... And somebody brought some pulled pork to that potluck, and now you got to get back on track, right? I mean, maybe for some of us, you know, we, we said, look, we're going we're gonna to go to the gym 
five days a week this year. And we're already saying, man, I got to get back on track. Or maybe there's some decisions that we made about our finances. I'm going to start saving this year, hon. We're going to save 10%. We're going to tithe 10%. We're going to just get ourselves oriented. And then you started spending some time at Target. And now the tithe went to Target. And Target's, you know, doing that thing. And so now you're going, man, I got to get back on track, right? Now, the, the reality is some of us are in much worse situations. Some of us need to get back on track because we have busted up our lives or we're about to bust up our lives. We're headed down a path and maybe we don't even know, maybe we don't even recognize where we're headed, but there's a disaster waiting for us if we keep going down the path that we're going. So what I want to do in this story today is I want to take some time to dissect this story. I want to debrief this story so that you and I can avoid our future failure. Uh, there, there's a beautiful, there's a beautiful, um, a uh, flow to this story. There's a beautiful sense in which this story reveals God's plan, not only for David, but for us. How we can, if we're headed down the wrong path, we can get back on track. The first thing that we notice about David is he is so frustrated and he's tired and he's mad and he's upset. And let me just tell you something. If you make decisions when you're frustrated and you're tired and you're mad and you're upset, and if you make those decisions on your own, those are going to be decisions that later will disappoint you. Those are going to be decisions that later you go, man, I should not have made that decision. So what I want to do is I want to start by looking at the very moment where we see David begin to get off track because it's the very first line. You may have missed it when we read through it. It's the very first line in this chapter. It says this, David thought, to himself. This is what started the whole problem for David. It didn't say David consulted the Lord. David reached out to God and said, God, what should I do? I'm being chased by Saul. It said David thought to himself. Now, I don't want to be too hard on David, okay? Because a couple things had happened in the interim. His his earthly father had died, his father Jesse, so he really didn't have his father to give him any counsel or advice. And to be fair, I don't even know if Jesse would have given him good advice. When we read about Jesse in this story, Jesse was always removed from David anyway, never really paid that much attention to David, never even noticed David. But, But David didn't even have Jesse to consult with. Samuel, the prophet, his spiritual father had died. So David's not able to reach out to Samuel and say, hey, Samuel, what should I do? I'm getting chased by Saul, right? The only other father figure in David's life was was King Saul. If you remember last week, David even called him father, right? That was the only other father figure, and that father figure was trying to kill him. So David had nobody in his life who could help him get consultation and and, and get some insight and get some wisdom, right? And so I want to just say this to you today. If you don't have anybody in your life to help you make decisions, to help you make right decisions, to give you good counsel, to walk through uh, uh, possible scenarios in your life, to break them down for you, to give you good godly counsel. Let me tell you, get some people in your life. This This is one of the main reasons we do life groups, and I'm just straight up with you. One of the main reasons we do life groups is that you can be with other people and you can bounce your life off of theirs and say, hey, you know what I was thinking about doing? I was thinking about blowing up my relationship. What do you think about that? Would that be a good idea, right? You got to get some counsel in your life. You got to have people in your life because if you do not and you're frustrated and you're angry and you're upset, you're going to think crazy thoughts and then your, your, your bad decision, your bad decision is going to lead to a worse situation. Here's what David thought. So he thought to himself, one of these days, I'm going to be destroyed by Saul. Now, let me pause for another second. We know this isn't true. 
He knew this wasn't true. He had already been anointed king of Israel. You shall be the king of Israel. Meaning, Saul's not going to kill you, David. But when you just consult yourself, when, you're, when your main consultant is you, you start to think thoughts that you know aren't true. And you start to believe them. David thought to himself, I'm going to get killed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I could do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hand. The best, the best lies are half-truths. Those are the lies that you are most likely to believe. There were some half-truths here. Saul did stop chasing him for a minute. But baked in there is a bigger lie. The biggest lie is that I'm going to get killed by Saul. That's, that's bad data. That's going to lead to bad decisions. You got bad information coming in. Doesn't, doesn't matter how good your processing is. If you've got bad information coming in, you're going to have a bad process coming out. You're going to have a bad situation coming out. And that's what happened with David. He started believing stuff that wasn't true. But, but, but since it seemed to work for a moment, he was able to live in a bad situation that was just going to get worse. And this is the, this is the problem with, with, with these bad decision-making uh, opportunities that come to us is that sometimes we make a bad decision and it actually works for a short period of time. In, in the book of Hebrews, it says you can actually enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season because, it, you know, you can make a bad decision and then look around and go, it's working. It, 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 it seems to be working. But what happened with David is what happens with many of us. And I'm going to call it, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. It was a failure of recognition. It was a failure on his part to recognize the, 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 the dire nature of the situation that he was in. He was literally camped with the Philistines in Gath and didn't realize that this was going to go bad. He did not realize that he was headed down. There are so many times in my life as a pastor where I have, where I'm consulting with someone or I'm, I'm, I'm praying with somebody or I'm you know, uh, encouraging someone and they're in a bad situation and that bad situation is getting ready to get worse. And the hardest thing for me to do is to convince them that they're in a bad situation. They're in a bad situation and they don't even recognize it. I had some roommates in college that were very smart academically. They were very smart. They were book smart. Um, And one day I came home. We lived in a townhouse. There was a fireplace in the townhouse. I came home at, to, to our house where we all lived, and there was a sliding glass door at the back of the house, and I walk up to the sliding glass door. I look into the sliding glass door. Two of my roommates are sitting on the couch, and there is, I'm not joking you, there, there, there is four feet of smoke from the ceiling down to about four feet below the ceiling. Smoke filling the house. And I'm like, and they're just sitting on the couch. I can see them sitting on the couch watching television. And I thought, something is really wrong with this situation. So I open the sliding glass door. This is a true story. Smoke comes billowing out of the, of the townhouse. And I'm like, hey, guys, what's going on? Like, the house is burning down. And you guys are watching Survivor. I mean, like, well, what's, what's, and, and there's smoke coming out. They both kind of look up and go, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, right? Which made me think there might have been some other smoke going on in their <laughs> thing. So, but I look over. The fireplace is lit, but they had failed to open the flue. I don't know if you've ever done that. But instead of the smoke going up the chimney, the smoke is billowing out. And be- apparently did it at such a slow rate that they just didn't notice. If I had come home an hour later... I mean, I don't even want to think about it. I mean, but, but they were sitting in a very dangerous situation and didn't even recognize it. 
This is what happens to many of us. We are walking down paths. We have gotten off track, but because we haven't experienced the consequences yet, we still believe we're okay. And David is living in Gath, messed up, failing to recognize the direness of his situation. And unfortunately for him, it wasn't until calamity struck. It wasn't until he blew up his life. It wasn't until he lost his family and his, and his kids and his livestock and all of that. And, and his men were about to stone him. I mean, like literally everything fell apart. It wasn't until then that he actually recognized how bad his situation was. Now, thankfully, he did the right thing when he finally recognized it. The scripture says this. It says him and his men, they began to weep aloud until they had nothing, uh, no strength left to weep. And then it says this. David found strength in the Lord, his God. This is the first time God shows up in this part of the story. David did not consult with the Lord at the beginning. He only consulted with the Lord after everything blew up. And at that point, he finally turned to the Lord and said, man, I have blown it. I have blown it. I need your strength. I need your courage. I need your power. I I, I need you. I need you. So if you're in this situation, if you're on a path, if you're going down a path where you are getting off track, after recognition comes point two, which is this, repentance. Repentance. Now, I want to just give you this word. I don't want you to think that I'm talking some crazy theology. This is a very simple word, okay? But but people get bent out of shape about it. It literally means thinking differently afterwards. It's a fascinating word. In the Hebrew, in the Greek, in the Greek, it's metanoia. It's thinking differently afterwards. In other words, I was thinking this, but then afterwards, I'm thinking this. I'm thinking something different after having an experience with God. I brought God into my equation, and now I'm running a different equation. I'm thinking about things differently than I was before I brought God into my equation. Somebody today just needs to bring God into the equation. Somebody just needs to go, let me see, God, should I do this or should I not do this? Or how do I get out of this? Or Lord, can you please help me out of this situation that I'm in? Because when you bring God into the situation, then not only does the situation change, but you change. That's metanoia. You change. You start going a different direction. You start thinking differently because you invited God into the equation. Sometimes we don't, we, 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 even when we recognize that the situation is bad, we forget to bring God into it. We still just have a bad situation. Now we just know the situation is bad, but we're not ready to bring God into the middle of it. I don't know if any of you um, grew up in churches where they would have testimony service. Anybody have testimony service when, when you were a kid? We, at my church, when I was a kid, they would have testimony service. And, and what they would do is they would literally hand a microphone around to anybody in the congregation just say just testify about what the lord's doing in your life and they would pass the mic that was very very interesting that was a very interesting (laughs) there's a lot of things that could be said in those kinds of situations we don't do that anymore you can testify in your life group amen so um um so (laughs) but my wife tells a story about a a testimony um in that happened in her church growing up when she was a kid and apparently the, this, this individual didn't know the difference between a testimony and, and, and a confession because um, this guy stood up and, and you, you know, you can imagine this guy stood up and he said, uh, 
you know, they passed him the mic and he said, I have a testimony tonight. And they said, okay, what's your testimony? He said, I just want to praise the Lord tonight. He said, found out this week that my girlfriend is pregnant, but the baby's not mine. Amen. Praise the Lord. (laughs) And everybody's like, okay, uh, I'm not sure that's a testimony. Okay. That's, there might be some repentance. There might be some other stuff that we need to get into my brother. Like let's move a different direction. Let's invite God into that equation. Um, a lot of times we, we, I don't know how I'm going to recover from that, but a lot of times the reality is we end up in a bad situation, but we, 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 God is saying, look, if you really want to get out of the bad situation, I need you to repent. I need you to start moving in a different direction. I need you to start thinking differently afterwards. Have an encounter with me because I can get you back on track, but it's going to take a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of focus. And this is what David did. He, he found his strength in the Lord. And then I love the next step that he took because then things started to change. This is the first time. It says, David inquired of the Lord. Remember how the, remember how the story start, started? David thought to himself. Remember that? This is the turning point in the story. This is the moment where it says, David inquired of the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to do? He said, shall I Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? This is the first time that he started asking God's opinion for his, for his life. This is the first time in, 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 this, in this scenario, over the last two years of his life, this is the first time he started saying, God, what do you want me to do? Right? So if you are walking down a path that is leading to destruction, or you're already in that, that space, I want to take you to number three, which is request. And that's simply, Lord, what would you have me do? What would you have me do? I can tell you this. Many of us would avoid many, many bad decisions if we would simply ask God what he thought of what we're getting ready to do. I mean, it is, it's a very simple step. Lord, I'm getting ready to do this. Is that a good idea? Right? If you just stop long enough to ask God's opinion about what, he, what, about what you're getting ready to do, you could avoid a lot. Of problems. In fact, Jesus' brother James says, he says, uh, anyone who needs wisdom, anyone who needs wisdom, seeks wisdom, ask of God. Ask of God who gives liberally, and I love the next line, it says, who gives liberally without finding fault. So you can ask God anything. He's not going to, he's not going to fault you for asking the question. Just take a moment and say, God, what do you want me to do? Or, God, I'm getting ready to do this. Is that a good thing? My grandfather used to use this phrase. He would say, uh, when you're about to make a decision, ask of God. And then, he would, and then he had this little phrase he would always use that stuck with me. He would say, let the dove of peace land upon your soul. In other words, wait until you don't feel a check in your spirit from the Holy Spirit going, um, no, please don't do that. Uh, don't move to Ziklag. Don't move to Gath, where Goliath is from. Like, just don't do that. I've got some other possibilities for you. There's some other routes you can take. You don't have to go completely off the rails, right? Ask God because God will answer. He, he will answer. You don't, you don't, in fact, this is the, this is the response that, that he got. The, the next scripture says, God said to him, he, he inquired, should I go after him? God said, pursue them. He answered. God answered. God answered David. You will certainly overtake them. You will succeed in the rescue. Here's what I want to tell you. If you've already, if you've already recognized 
the situation that you're in. And you've taken a moment to bring God into it. And you've repented. And you've, now you've asked God, God, what should I do? What I want you to do is then be quiet. And number four is receive. Because God actually speaks back to David in this story. God, God will speak back to you. Do you know uh, the word prayer in the scripture? The word prayer is, in, in the Greek, it's, it's a word called prosuke. And what that word means is a mutual exchange of wishes. And I, I've taught this before, and someday I'm going to do a whole series on this. It's a mutual, prayer is not you monologuing to heaven. Prayer is you making your request known, request, and then being quiet long enough to receive what God has to say back to you. It's a, it's a dialogue, not a monologue. If you, ever, if you ever have one of those friends that's a monologuer, you know, God, it's, you know, that's not a conversation. That's a monologue. You know, that's, <laughs> I was going to say something funny. That's what Voxer is for. You can just monologue. Those of you who use Voxer. Okay, good. Nobody uses Voxer. Never mind. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, prayer is a dialogue. Lord, what would you have me do? And then you listen. You just listen. God will speak into your heart. He's not going to allow you to feel comfortable doing something that you shouldn't do. He's going to, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. He, he can check you. He can, if you're getting ready to go down a wrong path and you take enough time to just be still, know that the Lord is God and listen to his voice, he will, he will, he will answer you. And in fact, the scripture says it over and over again. Seek and you'll find. Ask and you'll receive. Just knock and he'll open the door. Just, 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 just request and then receive. Just request and then receive. We have a, um, we have a copier in our, in our office upstairs. And, man, I cannot figure this thing out. I am technologically challenged. Everybody else is no problem. People printing stuff, things going, flying around. I can't. I go on the computer this week, and I'm trying to print something, and I send out my thing, print this, and then I get a little box that pops up on my computer that says, copier is offline. Copier is offline. So in other words, I've sent out the request, but nobody's receiving the request, right? This is, this is us a lot of times, right? God is going, hey, I got some stuff to tell you. I need to communicate to you, but the computer is, the, the, the copier is offline. You're just not plugged. You're not receiving. Come on, somebody. Does that? So you're not receiving what God has to say to you. So take a moment when you're praying and just pause and just receive. God, where do you want me to go? Okay, I'll go there. Let, you know, let God guide you, right? And then after David received what God had for him, the scripture says this. It says, the Amalekites, because God told him, go get them. Then it says this, the Amalekites were scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, partying, having a good time, reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. So they're just out there having a good time. They're just drinking and partying on the hillside because they just took all of David's stuff, having a great time. David listened to the Lord, and it says this. It says, David fought them from dusk until the evening of the, of the next day. In other words, David didn't just receive God's command and receive God's word about what God wanted him to do. He responded. Next, next line. He responded. If, if, if you're trying to get back on track, God will direct you. He will guide you. He will give you direction, but you do have to respond to it. You do have to say, okay, God, 
This is where you want me to go? I'm going to do it. It might be a fight. It might be a challenge. There might be some difficulty involved. But if God wants me to go there, I'm going to go there. Sometimes God is saying things to us. And we, we make it more complicated than it is because we don't want to respond. You know what I mean? We make, we make, we make it more complex because we don't want to obey. We make it too esoteric because we just don't want to do it. And God is saying, look, I, I will direct you. I will lead you. I will guide you, but I do need you to respond. Today, I want to encourage those of you who are either needing to get back on track or you're about to get off track, and this is your opportunity to stay on track. I want to invite you to respond. I want to invite you to put some teeth in this sermon for your life. Maybe for you, it's becoming a part of a church and becoming a member of a spiritual community where you, can, where you can plug in and get involved and get dialed in. If that's you and you've been out wandering and you haven't found a, a spiritual home and God is calling you to take a step to get involved and plugged into some church, some good church. I believe there's just one church and it's a real big church and it's a global church and it's all around the world. And, but if you're not plugged in somewhere, then you can't be part of the body. God's saying, I want you to step in. If that's you today, I want to invite you to come to step one right after our session, right over in the side lobby, in the side auditorium. Come and just take that step. Just respond by saying, God, okay, one thing I'm going to do is I'm at least going to get around your people. I'm going to make a commitment to follow you. I'm going to come after you. Maybe the step for you is you've done that, but, but you're, you're still kind of floating. You're anonymous. Nobody knows you. Nobody's in your life. You're not in anybody else's life. Nobody's pouring into you. You're not pouring into anybody else. I'm going to ask you to get in, into a life group. Go onto our website. Get into a life group. Find a group of people that you can connect with. People that you can say, man, I've been thinking about this. And I'm thinking about doing this. But maybe I should do this. Can you help me think through this? Can you help me pray through this? Can you help me make the right decision? This is how we grow together. Some of you today, you're, you've, you've, you've drifted from God. And you're here today and you are hearing these words. And you know that there's a possibility of you going off track. And God's saying, hey, make a commitment to me. Just recommit to your life today. If that's you, I want you to take a moment, fill this, this um, connection card out. Let us know. I want to make a commitment to follow Jesus today. We'll reach out to you. We'll pray with you. We'll connect with you. Whatever you need. We, we are here to serve. We're here to help you get back on track. That's what we're, we're here to help you avoid disasters in your life. And have your village burned down and your family taken. We're here to help you with that. If you, just, if you just take the steps, whatever it is, take the steps. And I love how this story ends. It's a beautiful ending. It says, David recovered everything. David went after the Amalekites when he finally stopped, recognized the situation he was in, repented. God, I'm so sorry. Requested, God, what do you want me to do? Received God's answer. Go after him. Responded to that. Went after him. He recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing. Young, old, boy, girl, plunder, or anything else they had taken. It says this, David brought everything back. Somebody needs to get back on track today. And when you do, God will bring everything back. Not necessarily exactly what you think you want, but he's going to bring everything he back that he wants you to have. This is what he did with, with, with so many different 
characters in the Bible who had blown up their life, messed it up. And God just said, hey, I'm still here. You're running, but I'm still here. I'm right here and I can pour it all back into you. I can restore you. I can revive you. I can bring it all back. If you just come back after me, just, just, just recognize where you're at and, and come after me and repent and request and respond. Just let me, let me pour into you my prayer for you today, for every single one of us, whether we have gone way off track or a little bit off track, or we're just getting ready to get off track. My prayer for each and every one of us today is that we would allow God through the Holy Spirit and his word to work in our lives so that you and I can get back on track. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and we know that so many of us, we so deeply relate to this story. We just know, God, that, that so many of us have found ourselves getting off track or off track or we've gotten way off track and we're off in the weeds. We're off living with the enemy. And, and, and we're struggling right now, God. And, and our life is looking like it's going to blow up. And maybe for some of us, it already has. Relationship is blown up, blown up. Finances have blown up. Everything's just destroyed, burnt down to the ground. God, I just pray that we would not be, would not live in, in, in fear and shame and condemnation, but that we would do what David did. We would recognize what happened and we would just, we would just repent. We would turn back to you and say, God, we need you back. Help us. Get us back on track. Lead us into the life that you want us to, to head into. God, I pray for each and every one of us today that we would not be too, too, too proud or too ashamed or too condemned to take the steps that you're calling us to take, but that we would just take the steps you're calling us to take right now to get back on track in the path that you want for us. Father, I pray this. I pray this for every person in here. I pray that you would give us the strength to do it. I pray this to your honor, your praise, and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.